Good morning, this is Randy Landry, and this is my 29th um, posting on my podcast, Common Sense and Ramblings in America. I'm going to read um, chapter 2 um, of my memoirs, which I have posted in common-sense-in-america.com. My memoirs are entitled, The Life of a Blogger, A Truly Never-Ending Story. And chapter 2's title is, Life After Death rather ominous title, I might add, but I will start reading it. As I stated in chapter one, my father's death radically changed my life. I was basically raised by an assembly of three. My mother relied heavily on the advice of my two older brothers when it came to raising me, so was somewhat she was somewhat lost when it came to raising a boy. Back then, there was little social services help. You did not air your dirty laundry in public, and you relied heavily on family in your times of need. It is not like today, where there are services for every aspect of a person's life. I know that they did the best they could under very trying times. I do not hold any ill will towards them, but in retrospect, I think some of the decisions made were erroneous and quite possibly detrimental to my development. I have stated earlier that the PDA was not the norm in our family. As a result, we were more reserved in our displays of affection. Also, relationship with a parent was more formal than it is today. You are a parent, not a friend. The authority of the parent was not to be questioned. You were just a child, and the adult always knew better. My mother's preferred mechanisms for discipline were first, a good scolding, followed by kneeling in the corner for 15 minutes or longer with your nose touching the wall. If your nose left the, the wall, the clock started all over again. If this did not work, you got slapped by the hand on any handy area of contact. If you tried to block her from slapping you, that put her into a frenzy. No boxer in this world had faster hands than my mother when she was riled up. There was no safe place on your body either. The face was the preferred target. Of course, the punishment was more psychological than painful. She did not have the power to really hurt you, but the place water was a different matter. It was the final form of corporal punishment, and not being stupid, I never pushed her to that extreme. Our flesh waters had metal parts in them, and they hurt like hell. I have seen her break one while dispensing a punishment. She always seemed to have an inexhaustible supply of them. If you used profanity in any shape or form, it was a bar of ivory soap rounded into your mouth. The taste lingered there for hours. You are not allowed to brush your teeth right away either because that would lessen the punishment. So now that I have some of the necessities of discipline out of the way, let's talk about how my childhood changed. I feel that there was some jealousy between my brothers and me. Robert more than Ronnie. When Robert was younger, he had a stuffed animal called Cuddles. He took it everywhere with him. When our father bought my Winnie the Pooh, it blew away Cuddles. I think he was jealous as a result. He would always hide him from me. He also counseled our mother that I was becoming too attached to him and I was just too old for him. So one day when I came home from school, he was gone. That was it. I never saw him again. This was typical pattern in my childhood. It seemed like any toy I became attached to simply disappeared. The only things that appeared to be sacred were items built by our father. My workbench and the barn he built for me for my plastic farm animals. The barn was magnificent. It was better than any toy barn you could buy in the catalog. 
one other group of toys that managed to escape banishment were my G.I. Joes. Thank the hell God. That would have killed me to have those taken away from me. I really don't know what went through her mind when she listened to their advice, but she followed it. You would think that after the loss of the two closest people to me, they would cut me some slack. I still have the barn and the workbench safely stored away. I don't know what I will do with them either of them, as I have no children to pass them on to. I did get a nice purple bike out of the deal, though. I loved that bike. Purple was my favorite color, but you know what that bike disappeared before we moved to Florida. I think it was sold. That is fine, because my family needed the money to help with the move. Why would I mind? It had, after all, only taken me two years to grow into it, and now it was gone. Tripping sarcasm. I think my brothers thought it was too effeminate because of the color. Well, with all these things disappearing in my life, you would expect that I would have separation issues. You would be right if you said yes. To this day, I have a very hard time getting rid of anything. I'm a collector of a lot of stuff. At least I keep it organized, though. This tendency to collect things drives my wife crazy. Thank goodness my father left my mother with a little money. The house and our car were paid for. We had a rental property to help with the taxes, and she did out-house cleaning jobs to bring in extra money. She also received a portion of my father's pension. One piece of advice I agreed wholeheartedly on was a purchase for our little Winnebago motorhome. It was 20 feet long, but it had no AC or generator in the back. But you really did not need it that much in Upper State New York. But it allowed us to travel with the rest of our close-knit family groups during the summer months. We had a travel trailer, but it was too much for us to handle. I was just too young to be of much help with the hookups, and I could not disconnect the hitch. So we had to rely on our families to set us up. That is one thing my mother hated, was being dependent on anybody. The Winnebago certainly made that easier. We even had walkie-talkies to communicate from vehicle to vehicle while we were on the road. I loved sitting in the passenger seat. It made me feel like I was a co-pilot. We were up so high you could see everywhere. My Uncle Danny and his children were musically inclined, and they would play at the campsites for free lodging, but unfortunately we had to pay for our lodging. Our trips seemed to bring my mother and I closer together, but I still received very little in the matter of physical affection. I was seldom hugged or kissed. I guess I never gave it much thought back then. I just thought it was the norm. Only now do I know that it was not really that normal. It has taken me two failed marriages to finally get it right. I guess I never knew how to really be affectionate or what love truly felt like or meant. Well, better late than never. I am in my 50s now, and I am quite happy with my personal life. One thing I am glad that never happened was that I did not have any children. I don't think I would have made that grave a parent. I simply did not learn how to do it the right way. My childhood during this two-year period was filled with a sense of loneliness and sadness. I know my mother did the best she could. Deep down, I know she loved me. She just had a lot to deal with. I also know that since my father had been sick so much, she had been basically running the household for someone some time, so she was used to it. I tried playing with the neighborhood kids, and I spent time with my nephew, Tim. However, I mostly played by myself in my bedroom. The house seemed huge because by that time it was only my mother, grandfather, Robert, and myself living in it, and Robert would be moving out soon. You might wonder why our grandfather was living with us so much. 
turns out his wife, my grandfather, died when I was very young, so I, so I never got to know her. They owned a farm, which he promptly sold, and he just moved in with us. I think he had an apartment at one time, but he did not really take care of it himself. The mom just kind of took care of him. She was the eldest of five surviving siblings. You might remember Uncle Herman. He was her only brother. There was Aunt Barbara, Aunt Violas, and Aunt Agus. We had a few bright moments before our lives became a living hell. On one occasion, we went to visit my sister Tina in Alabama. We flew by plane. It was my first time on a plane. The flight attendant even gave me a wing pin. We had a great time in Alabama. I will call my sister's husband, John. He took me on a safari in the swamps of Alabama where we were hunting for all kinds of monsters. He taught me how to shoot a bow and arrow, of course, on a real one. My sister even made ceramics with our mom and me at the military base. Guess I had lived a sheltered life in New York. I had no concept of race relations and racial tension. I was still too young for history to be part of my school curriculum, so I did not know about the Civil Rights Movement or separate but equal facilities. So when we found a laundromat in Alabama, we went in it. My mother started washing her clothes like nothing was wrong. We took no note that we were the only Caucasians in there. It became obvious to us when a Caucasian woman came up to my mother and apprised her of the situation. My mother politely thanked her and continued washing our laundry. Before I knew it, she was tidying up an elderly black woman. We finished up by folding our laundry and left with no more fuss. I never was prouder of my mother than at that moment. She thought the whole matter was silly. She, like myself, feel that all people are equal, but of course I was too young at that time to put all these thoughts together in a coherent manner. It took later reflection for me to realize how important what she did was. It has been the foundation of all my interracial relations and interactions ever since. We all bleed red blood. On other, One other cool thing about having a vet as a family member is that we had access to the military base drive-in theater. We got to see two awesome movies while we were there, Easy Rider and True Grit. This was my first experience with the drive-in theater. I did not take much to impress me back then. I remember one other high point in my life. That was our Greyhound bus ride to New York City. I tell you what, that ride was something else. We virtually flew down the road. Ronnie had rented hotel rooms for us in New York City for the weekend. We got to ride in the subways in New York City. Little did we know that we were risking life and limb to do so. We went shopping in the world-famous department store Macy's. We also went to the top of the Empire State Building, which was really cool. Of course, this is when my brother filled my head with crap about dropping a penny and killing someone. I believe that until I got to see it dispelled on a Mythbusters episode. Oh well. We were pretty gullible and ignorant back then. I still have not been back to New York City. It has been over 50 years. My Aunt Barbara was the matchmaker in the family. She kept on pestering my mother to go up to visit her so she could meet a newly divorced school teacher who was also an assistant principal. My father, mother had been a widow for over a year now, so it was okay by the norms of our times to start looking for her next victim, I mean spouse. Even though her heart wasn't in it, she had been married 25 years, after all, with my father had died. That is a lot of feelings to have to deal with, 
but they met anyway and promptly hit it off. He had two sons and two daughters. Within less than a year, they were married. One of the boys lived with us for a little while. The ex-wife took care of the other son and their younger daughter. The oldest daughter was already on her own. I have, however, changed the configuration of the family dynamics to protect, as much as possible, the innocent people in this story. You noticed how no names were mentioned from my stepfather's family as well. This was an effort to do so. After a suitably lengthy courtship followed all the mores of the time with my aunt and chaperone in the early stages, they were married. It is at this point that I need to digress a little so I can paint a picture of the situation we found ourselves in as a new family. Because you must know that in my stories there's always something nasty lurking around the next corner. Now I'm going to make a reference to a movie that most of my younger readers will not be familiar with. With the town my Aunt Barbara lived in, you will find an apt comparison to the town in the movie Peyton Place, which hit the big screen in 1957. As a matter of fact, her town was even worse. It made Peyton Place guess the town has the same name as the movie. Looked like a town full of happy Smurfs. Remember this fact. My mother owned a Winnebago. That alone put us in the shithouse. Whenever we would go through the town, every curtain would open up ever so slightly so that the neighborhood busybody could see the rich Jezebel going to see her ever-suffering sister. It was like watching the fans at a football game do the wave. Remember when I said that my mother waited a suitable time to start dating after my father died? Well, have you heard the term when hell freezes over? That would be too soon in this town, so we had strike one and strike two. Now I need to discuss my new stepfather a little. He was a great man, but he was not a great judge of character. Without knowing it, he married a popular woman in his first marriage. When he could not take her suspected infidelities anymore, he filed for divorce. Well, needless to say, she took him to the cleaners. As rumor had it, she was sleeping with not only her lawyer, she was also sleeping with a judge as well. I, of course, can't substantiate these claims and rumors, do I need to add that she was also spiteful and evil? I think not. Strike three and four. Remember when I said that he was a local teacher? Well, you guessed it. We had to move into that town temporarily until he could relocate to where we lived. Being that it was the middle of school season, he had to finish that year. So we moved to that town. You can imagine how difficult it was to rent a place there. So guess the place we found to rent, the biggest damn house in the town, right on the lake. It even had a name, Strike 5. The house was surrounded by privacy hedges, was three stories tall, and had a cement dock that gang seemed to go forever into the lake. The key is that the people who owned this house no longer lived in it. They lived in the guest house on the property. The old couple had built this huge house because they had a big family. Well, they had all grown up and moved out by the time we entered the picture. He charged us nothing but the cost of fuel to keep the old house heated so the pipes wouldn't burst during the winter. Because you guessed it, we were smack dab in the middle of winter. He was also unique in that he did not believe all the rumors that were being spread about my new father and my mother. Of course, nobody in town knew of this arrangement. They just thought we were rich. You would think that a seven-year-old boy would be off-limits to the attentions of a rapid town like this. Uh, you would be wrong. The kids at school made me, might made my life a living hell. Even the bus driver took a great deal of glee in driving by our house 
making me chase after the bus till his next stop. Many times I would stand with the neighbor's kids at their stop so that I wouldn't miss the school bus. Remember I said we lived in a big house with a really big yard. Well, the whole neighborhood was like this. So the bus stops were spread out quite a bit. Many times my mother had to drive me to school. This is also a good time to remind you of the fact that my father had just bought this dream car before he died. Well, you can imagine what he bought. It was the damn biggest car in the world. The only car bigger was a Cadillac Seville. Our car was just one step below this, the Pontiac Bonneville. It was almost 20 feet long and was gold-colored, strike six. So you can imagine my mother taking me to school in this car. She might as well have placed the bullseye on my back herself. Well, one good thing came out of this experience. My pugilistic skills improved. It also helped that I was a fat little kid with a lot of padding for my winter insulation. For I was going to need all these things to survive our daily recess periods. Every day I would get set upon by at least six or more bullies and get a royal thumping. I managed to occasionally get in a few licks, but I mostly ended up crawling into a ball and riding out the storm. Finally, the beating would stop when either they got tired or the school bell rang, ending the break. Of course, it would take time for me to compose myself so I could get back into class, which meant that I was late getting back every time. This would result in some form of punishment by either the teacher or the principal. Luckily, I wasn't the only one going in late, so I had company. If I was too late, I would get paddled by the principal, so I guess I wasn't enough that I got the shit kicked out of me by six or more kids daily. I needed additional thumping from an angry adult as well. Let me tell you, he did not use his hand. He had a wooden paddle. This wonderful cycle went on for a few months. You may ask why. I never told my parents. I was just too proud and stubborn. So how did it all stop, you may ask? My aunt's older son, Gary, who was on the local junior high school, heard of what was going on. That started the process rolling. The problem was, now where do I go to school? So we had to say goodbye to that magnificent house on the lake, and we bought a small single-wide trailer and put it closer to the school where my father was teaching. We basically moved to the next town over. This town was totally different from my Aunt Barbara's town. Nobody knew us, and nobody really cared either, but of course... I had another aunt living in that town as well. Her name was Aunt Agnes. So now I was entering my third school in this school year. I no longer had to worry about bullies beating me up anymore, and my stepfather was also the assistant principal. So I am sure you are waiting for the other two to drop. Well, you might would be right. As you might imagine, during the period of time of my second and third year of school, I was a little preoccupied with outside events to really pay much attention to my schoolwork. Somehow I got passing grades without really learning very much. Well, I can tell you that there was a world of difference between the teachers from my previous hell school and the one I was at now. This, my teacher quickly found out that I couldn't read. Well, that is not right. I could sound the words out. I just did not comprehend what I was reading. The words and phrases had no meaning at all. This was pretty bad since I was almost finished third grade. So how did I get this resolved, you may ask? Enter stage left another cousin. When my parents, who were newlyweds at the time, went out to have fun at night, they would hire family members to babysit me. This cousin soon became my regular sitter. His name was Danny. He was just going to college and was trying to earn some extra money. When he asked what I wanted to do for fun, since we had no TV at the time and playing cards was out of the question, I would point to his school books. 
he was taking some literature class at the time, so all he, he had all kinds of interesting books with him. I made him read to me, sometimes for hours on end. You know what finally happened? A light bulb went off in my head as I finally started understanding the sentences. The whole time he was reading to me, I was looking at the sentences in those books. I would also stop his reading so he could explain confusing concepts to me. I consider this to be one of the major turning points in my life. I soon became a voracious reader after that. So ended grade three. What started out at a low point now ended on a high point. At the end of the year, my stepfather had completed his contractual obligations and we moved back to the house my mother owned. You may wonder why I worded it this way. With the death of my father, our little family went from a patriarchy to a matriarchy and never went back. My mother was not going to relinquish control again. I guess she was afraid of another loss as well. This would lead to many resulting fights and a near separation, more of which I will discuss later. My father was not able to find any work teaching in our town, so he had to fall back on his insurance selling days for our income. Money was tight, but we managed. For the first time, I was not the center of attention, and that felt good. But my stepfather's ex-wife would not leave him alone. They kept on bringing him to court. She thought he had married into money with his new wife and was trying to get the child support increase for their daughter. It eventually got so bad that we had to leave New York and move to Florida. That is what my stepfather's lawyer recommended anyway, and that is what we did. But my mother insisted that I finished fourth grade in New York. She did not want to repeat my third grade year. It was simply too hard on me. My father was able to get a teaching job after submitting several applications there, so he went in advance so that he could start work, and we followed suit once the house was sold. We bought a double-wide mobile home using the single-wide we had still had in New York as a down payment. Ronnie, my oldest brother, helped with selling the house, and Robert helped with the packing and selling of our father's tools. We would simply not have room for all these heavy-powered tools. Chapter ends with us on the road in our Winnebago, eager to put the past behind us and enter our new life in the sunshine state.